0: The Cannabis Conversation, a European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. Welcome back to The Cannabis Conversation. Thanks again for joining me. We're up to episode four. Uh, I feel like I'm getting the hang of this podcasting malarkey a bit better now. So thank you very much for your patience. I will keep this intro brief, but anyone who's interested in this space really needs to understand the story of the patients who are suffering from various illnesses and using cannabis as their medicine. Today I've got a great guy called Alex Fraser on the show and he is going to tell us about his experiences and how it led to him becoming a prominent campaigner and activist. Okay, enjoy.
1: Okay, so today we have Alex Fraser on the show. Uh, I'm really pleased we've got Alex here as he is a leading patient advocate for the use of cannabis as a medicine and has been involved in setting up groups such as the United Patients Alliance and the Patient Approach. Whilst there's a lot of noise about big companies like Coca-Cola looking at the cannabis sector, the patient stories are at the heart of what's going on and are the key driver in changing the law. So, Alex, welcome. Hi, Anuj. Thank you so much for having me on the, uh, on the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure. So, Alex, give us a bit about your background, actually, sure. um, you know, what, what you've been
2: working on. And... Sure. In 2009, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And that sort of changed my life forever. I was only 19 years old, just started university. It was the end of my first year, studying music in Brighton, and started to have all these horrible symptoms. And when you first get it, uh, the symptoms, they hit hard and fast, and you don't have anything, any idea what's going on. You don't know what medications to take to solve it. And for quite a while as well, the doctors didn't really know what was going on. I went to some my local GPs, and they, they completely misdiagnosed me for, for quite a while until I really realized what was going on and, and took my symptoms seriously enough to go see a specialist and really get checked out. It took about two or three months. But in that time, even before I got the diagnosis, someone passed me some cannabis at a party. I studying music in Brighton, so it was quite a normal thing to be doing at the time and immediately noticed the symptoms that, uh, that I'd been having subside, the pain that I'd been having. It was so obvious to me that there was more to this. I immediately went and did some research into it, which was difficult first. It didn't, I didn't get very far until I had my diagnosis, until I'd, I'd probably found out what was wrong with me. And then I could immediately go to the internet and say, Crohn's and cannabis, how does this all work? Unfortunately, there was a number of support groups and research, and there was a fair bit of patient testimonials on how much, how much it helped them and immediately I realised that there was a whole population of people out there with Crohn's and also with other illnesses as well um, using cannabis to great medicinal benefit and that was an absolute eye-opener and cannabis wasn't something that was completely new to me at the time, it had been something I dabbled with throughout my, my late teenage years at high school and so to realise that there was actually this whole other side to it where there were a number of you know, very sick people often consuming what I up until that point thought was probably... The same as most illegal drugs was probably not very good for you. It probably wasn't something that I was intending to do long-term. Yeah, and that took a long time. The research and really discovering for myself how it would help me, which included you know moving away from smoking to vaporizers, taking tobacco out of the equation, uh, looking at oils and extracts as well, and CBD, and all the other things, other ways you can, you can utilize cannabis uh, in a more medical way. It took about four or five years to properly, fully understand that. And then... In 2014, in the summer, I met up with a number of other activists. Uh, one, one patient called Clark French, uh, and together we we formed this organisation called the United Patients Alliance, which has over the past four years built up until we've become probably the, the UK's leading medical cannabis advocacy group, at least the only one, the leading one that is, is run entirely by medical cannabis patients themselves uh, and for the interest of medical cannabis patients. And over those years. We've had multiple spots on national media, and we've been back and forth to Parliament to give testimony. Um, Went met Nick Clegg in 2015 when he was Deputy Prime Minister. Uh, we've handed in petitions to, to Number 10. And uh, it's been in very successful in, in some ways, in terms of, of promoting the cause and changing attitudes. What sort of pushed me to carry on is, as a patient myself, I came to the launch night, you know, promoting it and organising it. I hadn't necessarily decided whether or not I was going to speak on the night. It's all very... Open and, and optional. We don't ever want to push sick people into uh, into public speaking if they don't want to. But I decided to speak and to about a crowd of about 100, 150 people in, in a, a church in Brighton. And I stood up and talked about how cannabis helped me for my Crohn's disease. And for the first time in my life, people applauded me for talking about using cannabis. And up until that point, it had been nothing but stigma and negativity. Even from friends who well, I was consuming it with recreationally prior to that, no one had thought about it as a positive aspect of, of mine or anyone's life. And, that urged me on and and i realized that we needed to have a platform where people could talk about this where this issue could be raised that's that's really good i can
1: imagine a a kind of a a scene in brighton is probably more what people would associate with cannabis Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that you came to it sort of from a recreational Mm -hmm. standpoint and realized that it was helping you in, in in more ways than just an enjoyment factor have you Consequently, gone on to look into more of the specific types of cannabis that work best for Crohn's and yeah,
2: and how you kind of go about getting that absolutely and that's a big it's just a fascinating topic to, to, to look at and to talk to different patients with different diseases and learn well about what strains are working for them what methods are working for them so i mean just off the top of my head some of the more interesting things there is if you have a, have a, a strain with a, an 11 hayes family you've got limonene in there it's a terpene that actually can have some negative effects So, if you've got ms or migraines or any or any disease where you you, you have the possibility of migraines Uh, Lemonine will actually possibly promote those migraines and you'll get more migraines so lemon hay strains are not the one for MS but that just shows you how much there is still for us to uncover and uh, and learn about this amazing plant and it has all these hundreds of different cannabinoids in it and I'm very fortunate to have been able to try various CBD products and even some CBG which is a whole new cannabinoid that that a lot of people may or may not have heard of I mean there's loads that we're going to be looking into but the next big ones for me personally or at least for the industry seem to be CBG cbc and cbn and for me cbg was a bit of an eye-opener as well it was a weird in- i always thought you know thc your psychoactive effects you've got a lot of pain relief and other like medical effects as well and you've got cbd which is almost the opposite it's like the yin and yang very anti-psychoactive or anti-psychotic as well and then cbg almost sits weirdly in the middle there whereas i felt definitely more inebriated than with cbd but not nearly as much as thc and just knowing how to balance between those two, between the, and then bringing CBG into it, is going to change that whole situation again. So we're at a point where you've got THC and CBD as the two main components of, of pretty much any medical cannabis that you're looking at. And then we're also going to be introducing all these other components So what was a one to one ratio is now going to have to be a one to one to one ratio, and everything's going to have to get more complicated again. The comparison I make is often to dogs and breeds of dogs. And it's very similar in a lot of ways in that we've evolved together in terms of how we've bred cannabis for certain uses we've bred dogs for certain uses so you've got the skunk strains you might uh, correlate to to fighting dogs bred for that more aggressive element and then you could maybe you know you've got the soft fluffy dogs that people have in there you know for just like toy dogs I don't even know what you call them that might be more comparable to your CBD only medicines and things like that do you see what I mean? Yeah yeah definitely
1: definitely. one of the things that you said which I think is really good is it really is not one size fits all and so your lemon haze example is Mm -hmm. some things that might might work for for certain conditions, might not work for others. And I I think sometimes the debate gets reduced to a good or bad. Mm -hmm. It's very rarely binary. Anything in life is rarely binary.
2: Well, yeah, especially with cannabis, where there are so many active ingredients and constituents of the plant, it's going to be incredibly complicated. And I think that's partly prohibition is a big factor in what we're talking about there when it comes down to this very black and white. The main reason there is that when people are getting cannabis on the black market, they don't know what it is. So what those people are trying either works or doesn't work. And really, are they going to spend a lot of time trying, you know, 15, 20 different strains to find the one that particularly helps their symptoms? So that lack of access immediately, in terms of the people consuming it, can change their viewpoint purely depending on their lack of access to the variety. And then again, from the medical sphere, you've got a whole other side where how do you fit something so complicated into the medical systems that we already have? And that's kind of where we're at in the UK right now. I think the people at the top are trying to fit something incredibly complicated and nuanced into a a system that is built for medicines that at most have two active components. It's completely unprecedented in Mm. terms of the idea that you'd have a herbal medication with 200 uh, active chemicals that we don't fully understand and that you'd be getting that as a prescription it's a completely new idea in itself and how that's going to work and how that fits in is is the issues that we're really trying to solve at the moment
1: yeah and that it, the unprecedented
2: nature of it is quite hard for people
1: to get up to wrap their heads mm-hmm. around everything mm-hmm. so uh, th- thank you for kind of laying out how you came to cannabis and how it's helped you would you mind if, if you don't mind a lot of Elaborating a bit on how
2: it actually yeah. helps you. So I guess there's going to be a lot of people listening who know nothing about Crohn's disease. So that's a good place to start. Crohn's disease is the inflammation of your bowel. So you've got the tubes that go through you, through your food, for your mouth, down to your, down to the other end. And uh, at any point in that system, if you think of it as just one long tube with a bunch of slightly larger your stomach and other bits on the side, you get this inflammation on the inside of that tubing. Very much like eczema, but on the inside of your body. So as food passes through, it's incredibly painful. It causes bleeding. Food goes through you incredibly fast. If it goes through you at all, it doesn't just come out straight away again. You've got pain. You've got diarrhea. You've got nausea. You've got vomiting. You've got lack of sleep. You've got huge weight loss. There's a number of different problems there that cannabis can, can mitigate. And, and this, the beautiful thing about it is that I didn't need any other medication for about seven or eight years. I tried, I tried pharmaceutical medications, uh, which had horrible side effects, gave like me flu-like symptoms all the time, which you know arguably aren't as bad as the symptoms of Crohn's, but try working any, any type of job with, with flu symptoms all the time. At the time, I was working doing door-to-door sales for an organic fruit and veg company you can't sell organic fruit and veg if you're sneezing constantly and it's not running down your nose. You don't look healthy. You're not going to be able to sell healthy, are you? So that didn't work out very well. But, um, but so for cannabis, for nearly every single one of those symptoms I described, it's incredibly effective for pain. Obviously, there are painkillers traditional pharmaceutical painkillers. Available, But opiates are incredibly negative in terms of the impact they have on your bowels. So, so opiates are really a no-go. Other painkillers like progabalin are often prescribed, but the side effects aren't amazing and they aren't actually that effective for long-term chronic pain. Whereas cannabis is incredibly effective because of its anti-inflammatory properties, it's directly reducing the cause of the symptoms itself at the same time as reducing those pain signals at the same time it's reducing my nausea at the same time certain strains are helping me get a good night's sleep and any cannabis with high TOC, as anyone who consumes it will tell you gives you the munchies and makes you hungry which to most people is a a sort of a side effect that sometimes is is lovely and they get to indulge in, in some gorgeous ice cream or something and sometimes it's just a hassle and you overindulge and you feel bloated and sick but For me personally, it was an absolute lifesaver. And having something where I could consume a very small amount of high THC oil and then just have the appetite to eat three meals a day has probably made all the difference between... I don't know where I'd be without it. I really don't. And I often speculate where would I be in terms of my mental health if I hadn't had the relief from all the pain. And it's incredibly painful. People compare the pain of Crohn's disease to childbirth. So if you imagine that 24-7, every time you eat anything, (laughs) It's, it's a really horrible disease. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And having something that was able to give me that relief, the pain, the nausea to help me sleep and to be able to keep that weight on. And obviously as well, on top of all of this, cannabis is fantastic, anti-anxiety, anti-depressive effects as well, all of this. And I hate to think where I would have been without it. And I, you know, you do have really negative thoughts cross your mind as to what, mm. what I might have done in, in those situations if I hadn't had that lifeline. And okay. it's sort in ways it's not worth thinking about, but I guess doing what I'm doing with advocacy, I have to think about these things. You have to put that in front of people and say, look, maybe if I hadn't had cannabis... I probably wouldn't be here because I don't know if I'd have coped. Thank you for sharing that. It's really. Sorry to you know, get too deep, but. No, no, quite, no, no, it's serious, no. It's
1: quite a serious approach to this. No, no, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, it sounds like it has an extremely. Crohn's is a should be debilitating effect on your lifestyle. So if you found something that's helped alleviate it. And do you use cannabis solely to manage your condition, if that's the right way
2: of describing it? So. A lot has changed for me in terms of my condition in the last few years. I had a terrible flare-up in the summer of 2016 that no amount of cannabis could control. Also, no amount of steroids could control. It's another drug that I have used intermittently as a cause of powerful steroids time to time when the disease itself has gone completely out of control. Uh, And a couple of times that's happily controlled the disease and and got it back down to a point where after a week of steroids, I can go back to cannabis and not using any serious drugs. But in 2016, I had a very severe flare-up and I ended up in hospital and I've now had surgery to remove most of my lower bowel. But that's actually been fantastic long term. It was horrible in the short term, but long term, it's actually been a removal of, of the disease in its entirety. And since then, I've not had any direct symptoms from the disease. But now I have to mitigate and manage what it's like to live with half a digestive tract, which again is uh, malnourishment. So under uh, uh, losing weight rapidly, and again that. that munchies effect is helping drastically and the mental health issues that you have when you've gone through something so extreme yeah it's been an incredibly turbulent time the last decade for me personally but through it all and every sort of step of the way whether it's with the disease itself through surgery coming out of surgery and and coming off the very serious painkillers that I was given the strongest cocktail of painkillers you can get from the doctors and I was able to reduce that drastically uh, very very
1: quickly with cannabis so that's, that's a good segue into my next question. With your patient advocacy
2: hat on, what are the kind of main activities that you guys are up to? Oh, All sorts. I mean, I can say I've somewhat transitioned. I'm no longer with the United Patients Alliance. I'm now uh, working with Grow and doing my own thing there. Uh, An intermediary between that, I did the, the patient approach, which was uh, my own small consultancy, doing pretty much anything I could do in, in the cannabis industry, but trying to push forward patient voices in that scene and if I hadn't immediately or recently been headhunted for this role, I would be promoting, trying to bring patients into the industry, so they're working in this industry. And I think that's essential. It's essential that we keep that patient voice. We keep going back to patients and asking them, is this working for you? Is it not working for you? Because at the end of the day, it's entirely about them. It's not about these big pharmaceutical companies, although they're an essential part of the, the, the question. It's not about the politicians allowing it. It's not about these about patience and and relieving that suffering and if we can't focus on that if we're focusing on profit motives if we're focusing on trying to fit it into whatever legislation has gone before then we're going to lose out it's like an equation you can't you've got to focus on that side of the equation and not the other side Uh, and that's something that we're trying to ensure as this industry develops that that voice isn't lost amongst uh, you know the, the industry as it sort of swarms into the country which is which has been going on over the past sort of six to 18 months Yeah,
1: undoubtedly as I said at the top of the show it's it's the patient stories that are the most compelling and probably the ones that are going to drive the change as they have done recently your story is a very powerful one but you as part of the United Patients and the patient approach have obviously come into contact with quite a number of other patients thousands thousands. yeah Yeah. Um, can you tell us some of the more kind of interesting stories I mean both from the perspective of of the range of types of people that you've been in but also any kind of crazy lengths that people
2: have to go to in order to get their, their medicine. Well, yeah, I mean, there there's, there's quite a few I suppose, examples of that. In terms of the range of different things people are using cannabis for, I could go on and on and on about that. We could sit here and I could list things uh, off as long as my memory will allow. But um, yeah, there's any illness with pain involved, people with back pain, people with skin conditions, eczema and sciatica are often a lot missed off the list of, of, of conditions, a lack of sex drive, which, again, doesn't sound like a massive medical problem, but in terms of your quality of life is a huge factor. I mean, it's good for PTSD. You can forget all that trauma. It's good for pain. You're, you're essentially forgetting that you're in pain whilst you're on it. It's not that the pain goes away or it eliminates it entirely. It allows that pain to, to go to the back of your mind and to not be an issue so you can get on and focus with your day-to-day. In terms of interesting stories, I mean, I don't want to get too... Too deep and upsetting. There is a number of patients who've had had their doors. I, there was a, a, a I won't name any names, but there is a gentleman with multiple sclerosis who was in a wheelchair, who's living in Scotland, who had his his door knocked in. He was growing his own plants, and he spent a few nights in a cell before they really realised what they were doing to him. And realised that he was using these things medicinally, and that you can't really put someone in a cell for if they've got MS and they're in a wheelchair. Which seems absurd. It seems like a no brainer. And if people think this isn't still happening post rescheduling, there is another MS patient who again I won't name who has been a prominent activist people in the scene will know who I'm talking about who's also been arrested recently for growing her own plants which is again very distressing to know this is still ongoing this isn't something that was like oh this is a past thing that has just changed we're still in that position where very sick people are being criminalised and even if they're not having their doors kicked in uh, if they are growing just the stress that knowing that that could happen is enough in itself that we should decriminalize that no one should have to live with that stress these are all frail people they're not criminals they're not capable of being criminals with all due respect to those individuals but they're being treated like criminals and it's really upsetting you go and meet them and talk to these people and they just they sort of laugh about it as it's the ridiculousness of it but it's like that tragic tragic laughter of like well i just i've I've sort of come to the end of this road and i don't know where to go from here i'm stuck i'm criminalised. I'd have no access to the medication I thought would help. You know, they're, they're, they're stumped really. And I'm stumped as well. You see, I talk to them and being like, I'm really sorry this has happened to you. I can try and fight your battles and, you know, I can help you with media connections and you can continue to tell this story if it's what you want to do. But again, that's a whole other issue is how do you, as, as a as someone with a chronic illness, how do you put yourself in front of the media time and time again? If you've already done it once or twice and it's not had... The desired effect and, and the politicians or the, the legislators in your country have are still coming down hard on you than... Where do you go from there? Yeah. To pick up on a couple of things that you
1: said, so quality of life and I think pain seems to be, pain seems to be something that people are generally much more preoccupied by, uh, but also seems to be a very promising area where cannabis can be used as a medicine. I mean, it, it would be remiss of us to not, to highlight that cannabis can also have some less desirable psychological effects. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. Paranoia, etc. <laughs> in the whole kind of, it's not necessarily one-size-fits-all. There might be different strains that work for different people, and, and the, the kind of anxiety-reducing effects may be more
2: synonymous with certain strains mm-hmm. as opposed to, to others. So that's the high CBD element there. And you've got what I call the moonshine effect with prohibition, where we've had the people producing illegally in the country have constantly bred for higher and higher THC content. And then you've got what I call a 10-in-the-bed situation. So that, that nursery home for children is a 10-in-the-bed, and one of them rolls over. It's like you can only fit so much cannabinoids in that plant, and the more THC you're trying to fit in there, the rest of them are getting chucked out of that bed. So there's no CBD. Well, there's virtually no CBD in in illicit street cannabis, unless you particularly have someone growing it for high CBD content, for medicinal purposes, which is very rare. And, And generally speaking, those people are growing it for themselves. But yeah, like I say, so what you've got is a huge number of illegal strains that are very high in THC and very low in CBD, and that just exacerbates all those mental health harms mm. and it's not even that THC bad uh, and CBD good but it's about that balance between the two mm. and people talk a lot about CBD being the medical element that's not true at all THC is absolutely essential particularly for pain uh, and, and also for depression as well we don't find the CBD is CBD for anxiety THC for depression which is because often they're not together as a diagnosis. Mm. And obviously THC for pain, CBD for inflammation, which is like the direct cause of a lot of pain. So again, CBD can help pain in a sort of more long-term way, whereas THC is an immediate painkiller. And getting the right balance of them for the individual and their symptoms. And and, for certain people, you'll want as much THC as you can because they're in a lot of pain. You'll have other people who are also in a lot of pain, but they have... Uh, a reaction to high THC without the CBD above. so yeah it's it is incredibly complicated and you do need every individual to sort of it's a, it's a, a level of experimenting mm. absolutely mm-hmm. and, and it took a long time for me to find you know the strains and also the, the types of cannabis that really help me well one of the mm-hmm. things that, that struck me was I think people often have a they just when you, when you
1: talk about cannabis immediately uh, visualise smoking and obviously now with with many more CBD products uh, available but the advent of vaping and, and different delivery mechanisms you don't have to do that so the Not idea at all. of uh, Not at all. Uh, uh, Kind of elderly person smoking a joint is yeah. not, not. That's never going to happen. Not when anyone is not anyone is advocating or not is necessary or is the best delivery method. Right. There were lots of other ways which are
2: uh, less kind of. Yeah. So you don't harmful. have you don't have um, those those uh, materials that essentially are. Uh, cancer causing that you would get from smoking any plant matter whether that's it's not nearly as harmful for you to smoke cannabis as it is to smoke tobacco because there's no nicotine and tar which far worse for you in terms of cancer but yeah it's definitely safer to be like, vaporizing you can also have more control if you're vaporizing in different temperatures you can actually go and you can see what temperatures different cannabinoids and terpenes vaporize out and you can actually, depending on the temperature that you're vaping at, you can actually get a slightly different effect mm. as well, depending on what you're actually vaporizing if there's a high CBD, if there's a good CBD content then you'll notice that at different temperatures so that's, it's worth doing a bit of research into this stuff it's well worth doing a lot of research if you're a patient. Yeah, and then the whole indica sativa thing is another bit, a whole other thing to get your head around on how that works. And it's up until very recently we believed there were two basic types of cannabis. You've got indica, which uh, supposedly comes from the Hindu Kush mountains, and uh, sativa, which which comes from further north of there in, in Thailand, we believe. And they, they grow very differently. Sativas are tall. Uh, there's usually a, a, a larger distance between nodules, which is where the leaves come out. So you've got Bushier, smaller, stockier indica strains uh, with broader leaves in terms of identifying them, but the effects as well. Generally speaking, indica was more sweepy and sativa was more uplifting. However, very I mean, over the, the last hundred, 150 years, the breeding of cannabis has gone into such an acceleration that the strains that we have nowadays are all a hybrid mix. And, and when you look at the strains that are being bred and when we test them for, for their actual cannabinoid content, it's, it's varies so drastically. There's no consistency products even in legal markets like in california are not necessarily what they're labeled as and i don't think that's because they're intentionally trying to mislabel them i think it's just because the plant itself is so inconsistent mm-hmm. I saw a fantastic talk from a guy called arno hayes who works with bedra and bred a lot of their original Bedrican strains uh, bedra is one of the it's actually the dutch pharmaceutical company making cannabis and he basically made the point out that you can grow the same grow a plant just one plant, and on different sides of that same plant, you could get a, a or a, a nug of cannabis from one side, and on the other side of the plant, test them, and they'll have completely different cannabinoid ratios. We're sort of getting around these things, but it, again, it, involve, it involves a new system to think about it in a new way. So It's, it's complex. It's so complex. <laughs> that is the, that's the big takeaway from this podcast. Cannabis is, is bloody complicated, yeah. and... Like I say, there's some fantastic organisations and, and, and pharmaceutical companies and all sorts of biochemistry companies doing, biotech companies doing all sorts of great work to try and resolve all of this complication and make it work. And I personally I don't think it's going to work unless we create a new system, a new category of medications, specifically for cannabis and cannabinoid medications. Yeah, that is a
1: really, really fascinating topic, but, but probably one that could uh, fit into another show. If we could just go back slightly to... Um, in terms of patient stories, the, the most prominent one of last summer was um, Billy Caldwell, and um, which was a significant factor in changing the law. Um, have you have you got any stories from your your patient advocacy work involving parents? Because you know whether we like it or not, those are the stories that seem to have the biggest impact of yeah. sick children. Have yeah. you have you got stories of the lengths that some parents have had to go to in order to get their children medicine?
2: Well, I think. Yeah, I mean, it sort of should go without saying that, obviously, we've spoken to parents who've been growing medicine for their children, and that in itself is a ridiculous risk to go to, and ridiculous thing to have to go to for your child to be well. The situation with Billy Caldwell is he's been actually forced back into Canada uh, to, to be able to have his medication there, only up until very recently, he's been given the sort of green light to come home and to have his, his medication is issued by a pharmacy here. So... I mean, that is a perfect example. When we were running the United Patients Alliance, we sort of stepped away from the patient and child side of things. A lot of what we were doing was trying to push patients to talk to the media, and uh, and we didn't feel particularly comfortable pushing parents to do that. And I think it was timing with the Caldwell campaign that made it such a success, but also how well it was run, and, and credit to... Uh, you know, Steve Moore and Families for Access and the Centre for Medical Cannabis and, and Volfast and all of the organisations who were behind that campaign and the wonderful people who, who ran that campaign alongside Charlotte Caldwell uh, but I think a big factor of it was the timing uh, I think if you'd have done it a couple of years earlier there might have even been outcry crying about ch- children using cannabis and we do, we do get that as it is anyway, children using cannabis is obviously controversial but I think people understand medical cannabis so much better now because of the changes we've had in the USA, Canada, and other parts of the world as well, and how that has changed mindsets. And, I'm, I'm you know, I'd like to think that United Patriots Alliance and our work was a big part of that in the UK as well, uh, and, and changing those mindsets, at least with politicians and with the general public as well. And, and TV shows, I can't remember what was called now, but it was all the Pat Butcher went around the USA. That seemed to make a huge difference as well. And they also addressed it on... So Coronation Street, there was a character using medical cannabis as well. Shirley Houston is the actress, I can't remember what the character's name is. But uh, that, yeah, again, so these are huge, huge factors that have changed the sort of the mindset of the, the general population and have enabled a campaign like the Billy Caldwell campaign to, to, to really gain traction and, and for that to succeed. Yeah, so I think it is, I, we never really focused on the children. Like and that is a kind of a frustration from my point of view because we for years we put MS patients in the media, Crohn's patients in the media, you know, adult adult patients, and I guess it just the level of empathy isn't there. Uh, to, for those sort of things to gain traction quite in the same way and which when, is sad when it's a child. in itself it's sad in itself but I can understand it and, and when you do have a child in the media suffering in, in such a way and it, it, it's so obvious the level of you know heartlessness from government when they had a medication as well and they were you know the, I don't know how much you know about the nuances but they were coming over from Canada to the UK with that medication and then had it confiscated from them which is absurd in itself the idea that even regardless of the legality of the medication, you just don't take away a medicine from a, from a sick child. From when they're taking it, it doesn't even matter if the medicine's working or not. You just can't stop a medicine like, like that that's having serious effects, whether it's, you know, even if it's not necessarily a medicine that's working long term, you still have to peter out and, and wean them off that medication. You can't just go from, from being on that regularly to cold turkey, especially if you're a young epileptic child. Um, and yeah, the callousness and the heartlessness which that was done was immediately thrown back into the media as like, how dare they? What is this? And and that, You know, that really gained traction and really got us that change. And, you know, a huge, huge thanks to Charlotte Caldwell and of course Billy for being that poster child and standing up for all of us patients and for doing that.
1: I mean it was it was unprecedented. uh, the amount of newspaper attention I think every day there was a headline and William Haig was at the front of newspapers um, talking
2: about it. So he actually muddied the waters a bit. He tried to push for recreational access, which is just, shut up, William. <laughs> just, just, yeah. just let us focus on one thing at a time, which is another issue, actually, I was going to say. Uh, something worth bringing up is that the, the the mix between uh, and the crossover between medical and recreational. I'm not going to say that they're completely distinctly separate. There is a lot of crossover, especially when we're looking at mental health and general well-being and, and you know, sort of holistic, you know, uh, um, preventative methods as well and things like that so there is a huge amount of crossover but actually keeping them distinct when you're trying to change legislation when you're talking to politicians when you're talking to doctors and the legislation is what distinguishes between those two more than anything else it's not really about how you're consuming it or or, you know obviously what you're consuming it for makes a massive difference if you're in pain but how they legislate medical products is why we've had to separate medical cannabis out as a completely separate entity from recreational focus on that, how that's going to fit into a pharmaceutical model. And I think a lot of people who followed us initially were very upset with United Patients Alliance for distinguishing so completely between the two. But if you're trying to get the public on board and politicians on board as well, that clarity is essential. And I can't wait until we have the ability and the access in in recreational isn't the word I'd use, but the general access to do some of the less... Hardcore pharmaceutical things that cannabis can do because it can do so much uh, for people in terms of their overall wellness. And even people who aren't seriously unwell would benefit massively from using the right strain of cannabis in the right dosage alongside, you know, whatever exercise you're doing. We know it promotes exercise, we know it promotes the oxygenation of the body. We know if you're using it uh, and you're a sportsman and you're involved in rugby, Uh, I wanted to say NFL then because everything's so American, but. They, they use it in NFL and mixed martial arts. We're going to use it in rugby in boxing. Using CBD and THC as neuroprotectives means you're much less likely to have uh, brain damage when you come out of those you know, boxing matches or those rugby games. So it's, it's going to have impacts on such a wide range of human life and experience beyond just the pharmaceutical and the recreational. I think there is more even in, in the middle between those two. And I think that's going to be really where cannabis sits and that makes itself at home once we have the legislation to do that. But in the meantime, I do think priorities, priorities. Let's get the patients off the battlefield. And and let's focus on how this fits in with our pharmaceutical methods. Let's focus on educating doctors and health professionals. Let's focus on making sure that the most vulnerable in society are the first people to have access and that they have the access that they need to the products that they need. That is priority number
1: one. Yeah, that's a really good um, message to sort of round off where we are. My final question, which kind of echoes what I've been asking other people, is around um, your reasons for being in this area. Kind of more obvious, you explain them. But did did your family have a? Any, any
2: issues or this, did they have uh, the a struggle in understanding what you were doing yeah i mean so when i first got diagnosed with crohn's disease my dad did some research the first thing he came back was Uh, with was that stuff that you're using, you've you've got a legit reason for using it now, which I thought was funny. But interesting that he brought that back and he was the first person who really externally to my own research and my own experience had said, this thing is probably going to help you. My mom was was very against it. She'd always been against me using it when I was younger, which is completely understandable. And when I first decided to go on TV and talk about it, she was very worried. You don't know what you're going to do to your career, your personal reputation. Is this something you want to do? Are you sure? And by that point, I was committed to the I'd, I'd already started being a massive part of the organization, and it just had to be done. It was one of those things where, for myself, I knew that this had to be done. I knew that if it wasn't me, I was going to be praying that somebody else was doing this fight. Actually, so, you know, why should it be someone else? Why should it not be me? Why should I wait for somebody else to stand up and be counted and say, that This is me? And I use cannabis and it helps me. Why Why should that not be me? And then I think the responsibility of actually doing that and, and being that person was, it gave me a, a purpose in life in a weird way as well. When you get diagnosed with such a serious illness at 19 years old, your life goes off track entirely. It takes a whole new, new course. And a lot of the things that you plan to do I was studying music I was planning to be a touring musician and I immediately realised very quickly that you could being a touring musician with Crohn's might have been possible but I'm not saying you've got Crohn's disease you can't do that I'm just saying that's going to be a lot harder and the strains and the struggles you're going to have to deal with are going to be a lot more serious I think it it has opened doors for me to talk to politicians it's opened doors on you know, pharmaceutical companies to talk to doctors at a very high profile level and to be invited to conferences and to do what yeah. I'm doing is... For me, it's become my passion. It's become what I do. Uh, for, you know, and, and hopefully this will continue. I'm only 28, so it's early days. Maybe this won't be my 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 final career uh, for the rest of my life. But, First of many, but but let's hope. Um, and and I think that's something I'd also you know I'd open that up to other people. Is if you're if you're deeply involved in medical cannabis, even in your own private life, now is very much the time to come out and talk about it if you haven't yet. Now is very much the time to, to get involved with the industry if you are interested in doing so. I think that there's going to be jobs opening up in the UK and across Europe where there haven't been before in the cannabis industry. And yeah. come and talk to me. And come and talk to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like i say, more podcasts, more and more media. Let's get it out there. Let's keep talking and keep keep that pressure on because it's, like I said at the very beginning, it's far from over the medical cannabis situation. We've got very, very few prescriptions in the hands of patients. I'm um, hoping there'll be more of that very, very soon. But it is a slow game. It is taking us a long time. And it's going to take a lot of educating those health professionals. And we're going to need patients to be involved in that. It's going to be essential to have patients as, as a voice in this industry. So that's the message I would like to say to if you're consuming cannabis for medical reasons out there, or if there's something that you're interested in, or even if you're a health professional, do the research and then share the research with everyone around you. This is something that it's uh, – I heard someone describe it as a rising tide that raises all ships – and um, from my point of view, it's a tidal wave in the USA, and it's heading this way. And let's just all get on our surfboards and get ready to jump and ride that wave. Yeah, I think <laughs> what <that's>... a brilliant <laughs> final message.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Alex. It's been really,
1: really illuminating. And thank you for being for so candid in, in sharing your story. Cool. That's quite right. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. No worries.
0: Thanks for listening. I really enjoyed talking to Alex there. I found that really interesting. I hope you did too. Great to hear such a personal story, and see how inspired Alex was to not only find medication for himself but trying to help other people do that too. As ever, your support is really appreciated. So please like, share, review, all of that good stuff. Also, please do let me know if there's any topics that you want to hear about. I've got some good ones coming up. I'm interviewing a hemp farmer, we'll be talking more about CBD. There'll be an investment show for those that are interested in where to put some money in this exciting sector and lots more other stuff coming up too. So thank you again for sticking with this and I'll see you in the next episode.